0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bienvenidos, señores y señores, to another episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast. This episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your championship finals info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA and Stanley Cup finals. Ben Online is your sports Intel headquarters this season as we have you covered on all your insider sports wagering needs from basketball and hockey to MLB, UFC and boxing. It's the fastest and easiest way to get to your betting info, including the live betting options and your favorite casino and card games are available to play right from your home. So get into the action today. Head to the website or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code "believe" B L E A V, to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Ben online, where the game starts. And joining us on the Carne Asada is Bleedlow's podcast contributor and also contributor to Dodgers Beat. Uh, you know him, you love him. He's our East Coast redhead. Uh, Cody, how are you, buddy? Como estás?
1: I'm doing well. A uh, little disgruntled over the road trip, but on the outside looking in for the Dodgers as they start their series. What I believe tomorrow, right? And other than that, we're all good over here on the East Coast.
0: Yeah, they they start uh, uh, on Tuesday against the the White Sox of Chicago. Um, Cody, real quick before we get into it, I just want to remind our listeners because they may not have heard the news. Uh, but do we have any breaking news? Uh, music, babyface, because. Uh, if they haven't heard the news yet, I, if this is the first time they're hearing it, I, I want to give it all the splendor that it deserves. Do you, do you got anything?
2: Uh, let me see what I got for you here.
3: Um...
0: Babyface being the DJ on here, this is this is scintillating podcast material here. We probably so should. have. So I
2: haven't tested these out. So so we Oh, this is. Oh, this is we'll, gets we'll, even better. This is we'll, even better. Let's, let's see.
0: Let's see what we get. All righty. Our, our, our breaking news. For breaking news. Yeah, that's not breaking news. Okay, let's. Uh, we'll save that for next time, and we'll get our, our together. Uh, but basically, we are the number one baseball podcast in Armenia. That's right, Armenia. For those of you who weren't aware that Armenia is a baseball hotbed. They are obviously Dodger fans because they listen to the Bleed Little podcast. We are officially the number one baseball podcast in Armenia. And as one of our listeners said, that's it. We're taking over market by market, and we're starting with Armenia. So uh, your reaction, Cody, on that news?
1: I couldn't tell you where Armenia is on the map, but, you know, we're moving up, so...
0: (laughs) There we go. We're moving on up to the east side. So Cody, we wanted to talk to you because uh, you were out in Philadelphia. You uh you got to to watch Bobby Miller up close. Now I saw him Bobby Miller against the Yankees, and he looked very impressive. And I mean, up until this point, I know you got all the facts and figures, but I mean, this is a guy that is before his Philadelphia start for his first three starts. He uh, he looked like the real deal. And I don't know what if it makes it even... I mean, he's already doing great, right? But the fact that we saw Gavin Stone not look so good, I think makes Bobby Miller even look better. Um, Now, watching him against the Yankees, I'm sitting there just going... I mean, Aaron Judge wasn't in the lineup, but still, I, I was very impressed. But that was a start at home. How did he look to you on the road?
1: Well, you know coming down to the east coast again he started against the braves who are a really good team he had the home start against the yankees and the nationals and philadelphia is notoriously known for being a tough crowd uh it's not as bad for baseball uh as it is for football but you know the crowd the bullpen where i was sitting at and recording him um it's pretty close to the main concourse level so anyone can see him anyone can chirp at him and as soon as i saw him coming up the steps. The, the posture, the demeanor. Just, he kind of just looked like he was ready to essentially just kick some ass. And I just feel like he's had that mentality. ever like Every time you see him for like clips from when he was in spring training or when I watched him when he played for Louisville, he just kind of had that same mentality. And it kind of is part of his game and it's translated really well to the majors. Um, and like, like I said, he's been... I believe he's surprised. He won't say it, but there's a little bit of surprise for himself. But Dodgers are obviously surprised. I'm I was high on him, but I'm really surprised for how he's pitched. But yeah, it just seeing him when he was throwing his uh pregame warm up, I kind of knew going into that start against Philly, I was like, if he settles in, like he's going to probably go another six shutout innings today. And then he ended up doing that.
0: So I keep hearing the comparisons to Walker Bueller. Do you see that? Or are we just not being fair to this guy that this guy's just somebody different? I think
1: the comparisons are valid to a degree because I think personality-wise, they're two very different guys. Uh, Because I think if we've seen Bueller's kind of more of a, kind of on a Bellinger level, like kind of clubhouse comedian. Um, He's very laid back, but when he needs to, be serious and get hyped. He is that Miller just looks like he's very self-spoken, but when the emotions come out, as we've seen as he in the start against Atlanta, where he got through the fifth inning and then against the Yankees in the sixth inning, like when he gets hype in the moment, like he'll let that like out and he'll show it on the field. Pitching style wise. I think the only thing that they're similar is just, they both, through 95 plus consistently and other than that like the comparisons to where they are where Miller was when he got called up and Bueller was when he got called up are also similar where the Dodgers were kind of like fending for arms they needed somebody to step up and that was Bueller in 2018 I am starting to see that it's probably going to be Miller in 2023 Um, but that's where I would end the similarities but it's always a good comparison Kind of shows the type of pitcher the Dodgers and the type of pitcher baseball kind of covets now, which is just those high fastball flamethrowers.
0: Babyface, have you? You've heard those uh, those comparisons to Walker Buehler. Do Do you see them? Because honestly, I I guess yeah, physically maybe they have some sort of resemblance, but I just think Bobby Miller is different, man. I think this dude. I don't remember. and Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember Walker Buehler looking this good when he first came up. I felt like Walker Buehler got better as he went along. Am I wrong, babyface?
2: Yeah, I think the comparison is probably the tight pants, right? They have those, those tight pants. And, and I guess kind of maybe just a little bit of that demeanor on the mound. They're kind of, you know, when they get that big out, they'll kind of they'll show that emotion. But, I mean, I think Bobby Miller is doing, I mean, a lot better than when Walker Buehler first came out, right? With Walker Buehler, I think, didn't he come out of the bullpen first, right? I don't even think he even got a start, right? He was first, like, out of the bullpen before he and, got an actual start. Yeah, right? it was
1: 2017. He got the call-up and looked yeah. terrible. And yeah, he had to bet
2: against – I think it was, like, a Rockies game, right? He didn't look good at all, right? Yeah,
1: Rockies and I think maybe the D-backs. It was, like, the division rivals, and it was, like, the last, like, two weeks <laughs> yeah. of the season. But,
2: yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, if you just compare, like, from when they came and, and, and got on the scene – I mean, Bobby Miller, by far, I mean, Bobby Miller, by far, like I said, he he looks like the real deal. Right. Four four starts. He has an ERA under one. I mean, the guy is like he's showing that he is not afraid of this of this stage, this moment. And he is taking advantage of it.
0: So, uh, Cody, I, I know the question is coming. I mean, it's June. And Bobby Miller's only up here because the Dodgers starting staff is just a mash unit right now. I mean, Babyface had even said it, you know, before he started pitching in these last four starts, he didn't even have that many starts down in the minor leagues. They just brought him up. being how Knowing how conservative the Dodgers are with their pitching staff, when is the question going to come up? All right, we, we got to send Bobby Miller down. We got to give them some some rest because I know that Dodger fan is going to lose their freaking mind if Bobby Miller gets sent down, especially because the Dodgers are in second place right now. So they're, they're chasing, and I get it. It's only June. But the eye test, and I think this is the problem that everybody has with analytics, right? The reason why... I mean, we just had our, our recent guest on the show, Francisco Rivera, who was just like, I hate the way baseball is being played right now because of the dependence on the numbers. If you rely on the eye test, you clearly, you know, I think someone recently just said that Bobby Miller's already their ace. Like, this dude, what else does he have to prove down in the minor leagues? When is that question coming up, Cody? And how are the Dodgers going to answer that question?
1: I. Honestly, with the way he's been pitching the past couple, his four, first four starts, I think if he got hit around maybe against the Yankees or the Phillies or even the Braves, the question would have been, all right, when is he going to get sent down and when are we going to call him back up? But because Noah Syndergaard's hurt, because Julio Urias has a setback, because Ryan Pepiot's looking like he's not going back to maybe now late July at the earliest, I think they kind of have to ride out with him and not sending him down. And I, I you sent it out, uh, I believe, a couple of days ago, where it's time for him to get his big league number. Like seventy isn't a major leaguer's number now. <laughs> I think he's definitely proven that he's here to stay. Um, and like we mentioned, they're very conservative about their pitchers. But my biggest thing that says that Miller is different is he one he pitched in college, so that gives him some more experience. That gives him some more time to work on pitches. And then two, he did have this, the shoulder soreness in spring, so he didn't really throw at all. So his his spring training was that first couple starts that he had in the PCL with OKC. Um, so that's kind of the, in hindsight, that was a good thing, I think, because it let him, delay his start, so now he could start ramping it up here in June, July, August, September. Because at the end of the day, I mean, the D-backs are playing really good, but the Giants are right behind him. The Padres will start getting their stuff together. They're going to need starting pitching, and they're going to need dependable guys. And Miller, it looks like I would say he is starting to be that guy in like 2023.
0: Babyface, if he keeps pitching like this, there's no way Friedman can send him down, right?
2: I mean, I don't think he can send him down. But when when do we get to the point where like, okay, we got to protect his, in- his innings, right? We get to that point where like, okay, we can't we can't keep him out there. You know, six seven innings will go five, and then you know they might have to skip starts because like they're gonna need him in 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 September and beyond, right? Getting getting to to the playoffs. But like that's my concern. It's like okay, when when he gets up, there, like, oh, you know what? He's pitched more innings than he's ever pitched. I think we gotta either shut him down or scale him back when when are they going to get to that point right I mean you know that's
0: going to come so do you Cody do you think that works that that theory of limiting the innings because I'm sitting there going well Walker Buehler now is is on his second Tommy John Uh, for the most part I know Julio had injuries at the beginning of his career he's dealing with a hamstring issue now and they were very very conservative with the way they used Julio And so Julio, knock on wood, up until this point, has avoided those arm problems. So do you subscribe to this that, you know, we have to limit their innings? I mean, is that maybe contributing to why there's so many injuries to pitchers? Because they're not trained. It's already, I get it. It's a freakish, you know, pitching is already freakish. And maybe... We maybe we had the same number of injuries in baseball in the past, like in the '60s, and the '70s, and the '80s, and we didn't know about it. I mean, geez, I mean, Sandy Koufax's career was cut short because of, of arm problems. I mean, what what do you do in a situation like this, Cody?
1: I mean, in the case of Miller, like I said, he hasn't had any major injuries in, in his career, with college and in major league. Um, he's already had that experience where he's definitely been on a throwing program since college, since high school. Um, and other than that, as long as he hasn't had any major injuries, they can probably keep going out. But I can see with certain players why they do what they do. Julio's case, they signed him when he was a teenager, and they got to slowly build him up to get to the major leagues. Like when he made his debut, it was, I believe it was the youngest or the second youngest player to ever make his debut, and they took their time with him that's something that's kind of disgruntled him, but I would say it benefited his career for the most part. For Bueller's case, they needed to take his time with him because when they drafted him, he was injured. He had his first Tommy John surgery, and now he's coming up on – he got his second one, which historically pitchers that have two Tommy John surgeries are never really the same. So um, we'll have to see with that. But with the way baseball is, it's so advanced in the medical field and how trainers, physical trainers, teams get these guys on a throwing program, the stretches they do. Like I even coach like little league or like baseball. And these 12 year olds are breaking out the bands, getting their arm programs on. I'm like, when I did this. I was just throwing to throw. You guys are <laughs> taking it serious. And it, that's how, just how advanced it is getting now, where I think the injuries were a thing back then, but they weren't talked about. So a right. guy would be like, oh, my arms hurt. Let me just drink a beer and put ice on it, and I'll be ready. But now it's kind of so advanced that every little injury they can analyze and be like, hey, we can treat this, and then you'll feel 100%. So it's just teams being, I would say, overly cautious, but I would say it does work to an extent. As a fan, it sucks, though, because you see some of these things.
0: So I want to segue. You wrote an article for the Diamond Club uh, about the Rookie of the Year, uh, and what I thought was really interesting is uh, you you think uh, Carol for the Arizona Diamondbacks it's he's running away with it, but you think if Bobby Miller keeps this up, he might have something to say with that, right?
1: Yeah, um, I definitely believe the NL Rookie of the Year race specifically. Um, was kind of waiting for some of these guys to get called up in like June, late May, June. Um, Carroll, like I mentioned in my article, he's had a head start because he made the opening day roster and he kind of got a little bit of playing time at the end of last year. And the way he's been playing this year, it's definitely going to end him with a top 10 at least MVP finish, um, which should definitely put him – almost guaranteed getting the rookie of the year. But, you know, sometimes slumps happen or injuries. Say he gets injured in July and he doesn't rebound right or he misses the rest of the season. Miller also will get off to a couple of struggles, but he's gotten off to such a dominant start that in just four starts, he automatically, in my mind and a lot of other people's minds and Vegas's minds, put him at the number three rookie uh, at with the best odds to win the rookie of the year this year. And I think everyone knows that Miller's probably just not going anywhere. Um, everything that he's shown, it, it looks like it's major league ready. Um, teams haven't made adjustments yet, but I feel like he, him and the Dodgers are smart enough to make those adjustments. That way he won't get hit around too much. But yeah, I definitely think at the end of the season, you know, the division race, rookie of the year race, it'll be down to those guys.
0: Baby face. Um... Do you think maybe after seeing that uh, Cruz with the Rojos that he might have something to say with it? I mean, to hit a ball almost out of the stadium, that I mean, that was nuts. And this is a kid who just got, got called up. But like Cody says, and we have a perfect example of it, you know, dear friend of the kindness of that James Outman, you know, started off great. And now it, it, it looks like maybe the league has figured him out, which is my concern. Um, I know it's only been four starts for Bobby Miller, uh, Babyface, but how soon is it that the people start getting the tape on him, and he's going to start to have to make adjustments?
2: I mean, I don't. Know. I kind of think it's different for a pitcher, right? Like, because cause they're you know they may have tape on them, but but I mean they're still in control of what they're throwing. You know, if, they, you know, if they're having a good day, a good a good game you know, they're going to be on, right? You know, it's when they have those bad off days, they're, they're not commanding, they're not hitting their location. That's probably when they're going to struggle the most, you know, for for a guy that hits or whatever, like, you know, like they figured out James Altman or whatever. And I, I'm not sure, Corbin Carroll, right? I think he's been pretty consistent so far, right? I don't think he's really hit a slump. So I don't know. He's just, he's been able to somehow get around whatever they got on him and, and he's going to stay consistent or, you know, he will run into that wall where, he, where they'll kind of figure him out and he'll get that slump for a bit. But, I mean, you know, L.A. De La Cruz, I mean, he looked like this guy was unstoppable. Like, every time he went up there, he was either, like, hitting it 112 miles per hour, hitting it out of the park. I mean, I mean, when I was watching that game in that first at-bat against Syndergaard, I'm like, there's no way this guy's not hom- homering today. And, and that that's, that's the result we got, I'm bit. I mean, he's, if he continues to play the way he is... I mean, he's going to definitely be up in that conversation as well. You know, Bobby Miller, the same thing. But why did Ellie De La Cruz get number 44? Wasn't that um, Eric Davis' number? Yeah, Eric
0: Davis' number, right? Eric Davis' uh, number. Yeah, who knows? Maybe he's an Eric Davis fan. Maybe he wanted to pay tribute to Eric Davis. But look, I get it. You know, we want to see Bobby Miller win this award, and it's way too soon. But I mean, we're already talking about three players. And that's just in the National League alone. Three players that are very exciting to watch. Like the thing about Corbin Carroll, I think, and maybe he might be slum proof, is if he continues to keep the ball, put the ball in play with his speed, speed never slumps, right? So it's like he's going to be consistently going to be able to produce. Cruz, that dude is fast too. So that guy has power. That's where I, I think it's going to be interesting because if Cruz plays out the rest of the season and the Reds don't do something stupid with him, it's going to be interesting because I think right now, even though Carol has been more consistent because he's been out uh, up in the league longer, I think the sexiness of what Cruz is doing because it's, he's just exciting to watch. That's the kind of thing. And I think. I'm asking this to you, Cody, is do pitchers have a disadvantage when it comes to the Rookie of the Year? Like, aren't they going to sit there and be like, well, these guys are everyday players, so we're going to give the the award to an everyday player.
1: Yeah, I, I actually, when, I, when you guys were talking, I was looking it up. But my comparison to Miller for this year, if he does lose Rookie of the Year, would be to Spencer Strider's case last year where yep. Strider, in my mind, it could have went either way, but I, when everyone was doing their voting and stuff, and I was like, yeah, I think Strider's going to win. I mean, like, he was the staple that Braves rotation led him to the playoffs. He started out in the pen, so he didn't get as many starts. Since Miller got called up later in May, he's not going to get as many starts as some of the other National League starters. But just being a pitcher and only starting every fifth day puts you at a disadvantage. So you would have to have, like, a really good year, like a Jacob deGrom rookie mm-hmm. year or Jose Fernandez when he'd be out, Yacier Puig in 2013, like those types of years. Um, so Miller, to stay on that, would have to keep pitching as well as he is. But like you said, Cruz, and Cruz probably, I would say, is even a better overall player than Corbin Carroll because not only is he fast, but he has way more pop than yeah. Corbin does. And... I- He could be a difference maker for the Reds because I even mentioned that the Reds are only four games out in that terrible National League Central and they could go on a little run with these rookies that they got. Um, So that I think voters kind of not as much as before, but they do put that in consideration. They look for the flashiness and how do they help that ball club win? And you got three guys right now where the rookie of the year is on potentially a playoff team. so.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, baby face. I, I mean, I, chicks dig the long ball, but for me, I think what makes, and, and Cody brought this up, I think the, the edge goes to Cruz just because not only, okay, he has more power, but when that dude hits the ball in the gap, it's like, is he going to get a triple? And I know that Corbin Carroll has that same ability too, because that dude is really fast also, but I, it, it's the power, right. That separates them. And, and, and Cody makes a good argument. What if the Rojos all of a sudden you know, start fighting for contention on that? Then it goes back to the MVP argument, right? Where it's like, hey, the MVP has to come from a team that makes the playoffs. Do you think they'll use that argument in the Rookie of the Year?
2: I don't think so, because I think the Rookie of the Year, I mean, to me, the MVP, I've always felt that it should be from a playoff contending team, that is that, that that player, you know, helps him get over that hump or whatever. But I think Rookie of the Year is completely different. I mean it's just who is this next star that's coming out, right? That just breakthrough star. And you know, I was kinda of looking it up real quick. The last starting pitcher was DeGrom in fourteen, right? So it's been, you know, we're getting on ten years. So I think it's if it, it is harder for a pitcher, right? Just Yeah. I'd, I'd have to see who, who finished in the in like the top three for that. But I think just to, they they just need to completely just break away from the pack and just like and right now I think it's going to be hard because you got, you know, guys like Caro and, and, and De, La, De La Cruz. I mean, I think it's going to be really hard to break away unless something happened to those guys and they started slumping or whatever. and Or just Bobby Miller just insane, you know, keeps a, under one ERA all year yeah. and, just, and just dominates, you know, then, then he has a really strong case.
0: Look, I don't expect Bobby Miller to keep these numbers up. I mean, this is insane. But, Cody, I, I mean, you've been following this team – Uh, the bullpen has the worst ERA they've had in years. And I know that this is something new to Dodger fan. They don't, they're not used to seeing the bullpen this bad, but the starting pitching is so thin. Uh, I mean, how do they fix this? And uh, let's, let's go with that first. I have a follow-up question, but how do they fix this right now?
1: You know, it's, I mentioned in my article today, it's kind of non-Dodger-esque to have bad pitching. And it hasn't really looked like that in probably quite some time, at least with the talent that they've had. I think the last year that they had really bad, a really bad pen was like 2013 and 14. And that was 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, since then they've had, they've taken a flyer on some guys and it's worked out in their favor. And this year, I think you're just seeing some guys that they took a flyer on years past that just aren't progressing anymore. Like, the bullpen is so like futile, it's so ever changing that you can't really like depend on guys that you depended on before. And a couple of those guys that I can think of right off the top of my mind is Alex Vestia, Yancy Almonte, um, Bruce Dar has kind of been up and down. Sometimes he looks really good, but it seems like you never get the whiffs that you think you would get for throwing 95, a hundred miles per hour. Um, and then you got some bright spots like Shelby Miller's looked pretty fine. And um, it's just that the starters, just because they don't have those guys to go deep into the games, it's, you're using the bullpen more. And you thought they were going to get some more stability when Gonsolin came back, but then Urias got injured. Syndergaard still isn't looking good. Um, you're depending on Grove, who is also a rookie, but just doesn't really have it either. And Stone as well, he, he hasn't. Translated to the majors yet. Um, the m- cliche answer would be to say, "Hey, pitching market for the trade deadline." But the trade deadline is going to be razor thin this year, uh, just because of so many teams being in contention. Some of these teams may be stingy and think they have a shot. Like everyone's pointing at the White Sox, Guardians. If you're thinking about training with the central teams, you may might as well just give up because they're all in contention and they all may think they're in contention, so they may ask for a King's ransom for it. So it sucks to say, but I think Dodger fans should just get ready for a very quiet deadline with minimal changes. I actually think they may trade more players away to clear the 40 man roster when players come back from injuries and then you'll start seeing people bad, but that's, there's really no clear solution. You're just going to have to hope these guys come back from injuries.
0: Baby phase. How does that make you feel to hear uh, Cody say that they might not do anything and just trade players away because we already, I saw Dodger fans not too happy about the off season. They had, if they see that they're not doing anything to address it, because Cody has a point and I don't think this is talked about enough. When you're making trades, you need to have a willing partner. I feel like a lot of times fans go, why didn't they trade for this guy? And it's like, well, if the other team doesn't want to trade with you, or the other teams ask is ridiculous like babyface our, our friends over at baseball is boring had proposed a trade that you shared this morning you uh, you want to share that with our, our listeners
2: yes i mean that's that's always been the 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 main question right like okay okay yeah let's get tim anderson okay yeah let's get you know so-and-so Marcus Stroman, right? That that was the trade that was proposed this morning. And it's always seems to me, to me, it seems like it's an unfair ask because like the Dodgers farm system is always, these players are ranked extremely high, right? So if the Dodgers number two farm, you know, player in the farm is number two, right? And they get a number two from say the Reds, but in overall top prospects, that guy might not be ranked to like, you know, 50th. And the Dodger guy is like, you know, 20th in baseball or whatever, right? So it doesn't seem fair, right? But that's kind of what they're always after. Um, let me see if I can pull up that trade real quick. Um, but it, it was it was a trade with – It because, was Mark
0: Leiter Jr. and yeah. Marcus Stroman for Pepio, yeah. rushing Dalton, and then I forgot who the third guy was.
2: Yeah, Don rushing
0: and – let
2: me see if I pull that up real quick.
0: I, I mean that alone to me Pepio and rushing is too much for Marcus Stroman and Mark Leiter Jr. And also you know Stroman's going to be a free agent right Yeah that, that's that that's too much and that's always been my concern is that this team has so many uh needs that they have to address are they going to have enough uh are they going to have enough pesos to to make the deals and then I mean is it even worth it Like Cody said, Cody brings up, it's a good reality, Cody, and maybe it's better that our listeners start getting used to it now as opposed to hope, because I know in past episodes, well, we're waiting for the treadline, line, or you keep hearing everybody, they got to make a trade, they got to make a trade. I I was like, is there anybody out there that's better than what you got? I mean, is it going to just keep everything the same? They just maybe have to kind of hope that these guys you know, can fix it But it just could be what you were also saying, Cody, that these guys have regressed to who they really are. There was a period there where they were good, but that was not an indicator of who they really were. And now we're seeing there's a reason why these guys were released. There's a reason why Friedman was able able to pick these guys up so cheap. Which leads me to my next question, Cody. I don't know if you've noticed this, or maybe this is me just being too particular with this. But I feel that Dave Roberts has... uh, There's a lot of frustration starting coming out in Dave that seems a little uncharacteristic. And I'm not going to blame it on the Modelo. I don't know if everybody saw the the Modelo that he was drinking. I got it in my
1: camera roll. (laughs) which,
0: Which is nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with it, right? But... These guys have driven Dave Roberts to drink in public. That's all I'm saying. And, uh, but he's been very pointed in his criticism. And for a guy who has the reputation of being a player's manager, I was surprised about it. Like he, he went after Gonsolin hard. And while it's a valid criticism, I think, of Gonsolin, I was still surprised by it because I don't feel. Like, he has that same energy when he's coming. Like, he went after Caleb Ferguson hard, and then the next day, like, almost walked it back and was just like, hey, yeah, Caleb was, uh, you know, he was much better this time. He gave up a walk-off home run. He hung one right down the middle. So, uh, for me, I guess what my question is, is I know a lot of the criticism comes towards Robert's Are you starting to feel that maybe the criticism is starting to change towards Friedman and it's going to get a little louder come the trade deadline when we see that the Dodgers aren't pulling off trades to try to fix these things?
1: You know, it's I've always defended Roberts because I do think he's a really good manager. And I think this season is kind of him starting to be a tenured manager. Like he's been around there for a while. He's been the manager of the Dodgers since 2016. He's got, a lot of playoffs, a lot of experience, and a lot of sadness over the losses they've had. And the fans have been driven crazy, but I think he's a good manager. Friedman is also probably still... The guys that run the Dodgers, between him and Gomes, they're doing what they need to do year in and year out. The common fan, and I'll say this... Uh, Go ahead and say they, Those jabronis. Those jabronis, they Cody. It, they see seasons as year-by-year basis, and they always want to say the contenders need to contend, they need to trade away, they need to trade away, they need to buy in. But for guys like us that know the sport and kind of see what their goals are, they're not looking at a year-to-year basis. They're looking at year one to year five, year one to year ten. They plan for the future. And we're kind of in that transitional period where they're starting to all right, we'll take a break, we'll still be in contention because they're still going to have a really good team the next couple of years, but they're not going to be that 105, 110-plus team that we've seen the past three seasons. And that just doesn't happen in baseball. What the Dodgers are doing right now just doesn't even happen in sports. There's right. only a couple other teams you can think of that have made the playoffs over 10 straight seasons and have had multiple World Series appearances and, and a championship under their belt. Like the only closest that you can think of in baseball terms is the Braves in the '90s, and they when they won 14 straight division titles. Um, the Dodgers are looking at longevity, and the way you go about that is you don't try to win the year that you don't think you have the best capabilities. Like they can obviously go out there, make the playoffs, mm-hmm. go on a run like the Phillies did last year with the not basically a 500 ball club just going on getting hot at the right time that the Dodgers could certainly do that. They have a lot of gritty guys that can kind of put it together and do it. But if you had to ask Freeman and put a lie detector test on him, and you asked them, Hey, is this team going to win the world series? If he said yes, it would probably start buzzing. And most fans kind of can see that where I would be happy for a world series win, but I also would rather just be in contention and get in the playoffs and get into the dance because then you know anything can happen. And I think Freeman and, and the Dodgers kind of realized that over the past three seasons, because the biggest gripe that I, I have from watching the team for as long as I have is in 21, that was the year like when they went all in and it didn't work out. And, um, but other than that, it's just playing the long game and the Dodgers have been doing that fine. That's why Freeman and all of them will be here for a long time. And, for fans that still want them gone, well, you might as well just either get a new team or get used to it because that's pretty much just how it's going to be. So
0: there we go, babyface. Now that is the second contributor. I mean, you're not saying what with uh, the boatman, Jason Barquero, is saying. Jason Barqueto is pretty blunt about it and just said from the beginning of the season that the Dodgers have punted the season away. And if they end up winning the World Series, great. It's gravy but they punted this season away and it sounds like you're saying the same thing. And, and we've talked about this before where it's very hard to, to try to do what the Dodgers are doing, where you're, you're kind of restructuring the team, not necessarily rebuilding it, but at the same time you're, you're trying to compete. So um, baby face before we, uh, we let Cody go, have you come to terms with this? The fact that all our contributors are coming on here and telling us, hey, man, they're not trying to win. If they something wins it comes out of it, great. But uh, you guys better hope Otani comes to save us next season.
2: I mean, I wouldn't say they're not trying to win. I mean, they're trying to win. I mean, I don't think – and, you know, we said this – I said this from – it doesn't matter kind of where they finish, right? And I can, mm-hmm. that's the point. Like,
0: as long as they get in. You know, I don't think they need to. Well, it does matter at that point because if they finish outside of the wild card, then well, they, it matters where well, they the finish.
2: They, they need to need to finish right in in the wild card or or in first place, right? We saw that last year. So I think that's that's the goal. You know, if they get into the playoffs, anything happens in the playoffs, right? Like, I mean, last year they had the best team, right? They get knocked out in the first. round. There's been years where they've been the best team in there and they get knocked out early. So I think. That's what they're hoping for. They get in, they got the momentum, and then anything could happen, right? They could just go in and, and like like Cody was saying, you know, be the Phillies, right? I mean the Phillies Phillies got to the World Series and you look at the Phillies team, they have a lot of talent, but for some reason it, they they're just not gelling. Like they're 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 a good team. They got hitters, you know, Harper and and now Turner and Schwarber, like I mean those, that's a crazy lineup and but they're not for some reason they're just not there. So yeah, I, th- I think that's and what their ho- that's what their Dodgers are hoping they could get in, and then and then go through it.
1: Yeah, I think that the Dodgers' plan from the get go was just to get in, and I think like that's their plan every year is just to get in. There's just some years where they know, hey, we're going to try to milk the opportunity. Like we have Seager this year, let's trade for Trey Turner, Max Scherzer. Let's hope Kershaw comes back from his injury. Let's have the all star rotation, all star lineup one through nine. And then you kind of can't, you can't do that every year. It's not feasible. But the Dodgers, because of their depth and their drafting and their development, they're built regardless. They could not sign a single player next offseason. They probably still win almost 90 games. And I think the average fan that's watched this team the past couple of years, they just expect 95 plus when most teams aren't doing that. And you don't even have to do that anymore. The amount of teams that make the playoffs, I, I really think the threshold is shoot for 85 wins and you could probably make the wild, the last wild card. And that's just how it is in baseball right now. So that's the kind of love-hate relationship with having so many playoff teams that the Dodgers, their ownership, they're like, hey, we don't have to spend $400 million every year. We can just kind of take it back. They still went over the luxury tax this year in case anybody forgot. But most owners don't have to do that anymore, and they could still feasibly get into that last wild card spot.
0: There you go. It's the business side of baseball, everybody. Uh, we we got get. We have to accept it. It's part of the game. Uh, Cody, we want to thank you very much uh, for joining us on the show. We love your insight. Again, uh, for our listeners, our viewers, where can they read your stuff, Cody, and where can they follow you on the socials?
1: You know, um, right here at Dodgers Beat. If you go on our website, Twitter, all that, I post pretty regularly about player analysis and stuff like that, but I also have my own blog with me and my friend. Um, it's at the Diamond Club uh, Sports on Twitter, diamondclub.blog on the internet. You can look at all my uh, social media pages. I'm primarily on Twitter at Snavely Cody6. Um, but other than that, you know, Dodgers will turn it around. Bobby Miller is going to keep it going. And speaking of Bobby Miller, before I go, I mentioned his baseball savant page came out, and I wanted like comparing him and Gavin Stone. And what I want to compare about them briefly is the difference that I know for a fact it's probably a reason why I haven't translated well. Gavin Stone is primarily a two-pitch pitcher, fastball changeup. Another pitcher in the Dodgers history that was like that not that long ago was Kershaw, where he was a fastball-curved pitcher. And they, he, they told him, hey, you have to get that third pitch. Bobby Miller has five pitches in his arsenal that are all at elite major league level. He's got the sinker, the slider, the change, a four seam, and a curve, which can – that's going to help him for the rest of the year, and that's what I think separates him above all else. So I think he's going to keep going for the rest of the season.
0: Look at that. Look at K- Cody saving the gold for the very end. <laughs> there you go. Now he just throws his hands up in the air and he walks up. Everybody buy a
1: Bobby Miller jersey now, invest. He's going be- <laughs> no, to be. Don't buy wait. 70. Yeah, you have to wait. <laughs>
0: Because I guarantee you, he's not going to be 70, so don't buy – I mean, you might get a cheap, but uh, don't well, buy 70. DFA he can take 43. I
1: don't know.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. No mercy for the poor guy. You guys on the IL, But there you have it. Cody, thank you so much. We really appreciate that feedback there. Um, and make sure you guys follow Cody Snavely and read his stuff. And joining us on the Carne Asada is Pitcher of the Month for the month of May in the California League, down in the minor leagues, for the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes, which is the Dodgers affiliate, uh, is Jared Carros. Jared, como estas amigo? Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you for having me. Uh, super excited to be on. Uh, I've heard this podcast a little bit, so I'm excited to join it. Oh wow! You're the, you're the first person who actually
0: acknowledges. Is we we thought nobody listens to us, and we just like talk to ourselves uh, on the air. So, I mean, I will say this: since you brought it up and that you listened to the show, Jared, you this is you're a first for us. This is the first time we've ever had a father son on the show. Your dad okay. has jo- graced us on the show before twice, and now you. So you're a first for us on that. But awesome. Jared. Uh, does it seem fast to you? I mean, you were just drafted by the Dodgers in 2022 and now you're playing. W- w- was that a quick process? I mean, walk me through the actual draft. Like when they announced your name, did you get an inkling that the Dodgers were already looking at you?
3: Yeah. So um, I talked to him prior to the draft and had, had a little bit of an idea going into it um, that this could potentially be a possibility. And to hear my name called by them was, it was truly a dream come true. I was super excited. um, Just to be able to be with this organization, obviously the history of it, uh, my dad played for them. So yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, Everything's been awesome so far and I'm super excited to continue working and progressing throughout this organization.
0: I mean, I'm super jealous. So walk me through this because I've never really, the dream of playing any level of organized baseball in terms of when they negotiated that contract, do you just sit there and go, whatever you want to give me, I'll take it. I mean, did you have an agent negotiate that? Did you have someone negotiating for you? Like, how was that process for you?
3: Yeah. So I do, I did have an agent. And then also my dad was helping me out with some stuff, but Um, To me, the money wasn't really a huge, huge thing. It was more so just getting this opportunity to um, join this organization, all the resources they have. Um, I've seen them help a lot of players get a lot better. And um, my career at UCLA, it was good, but I had a lot of injuries I dealt with. So just to be able to be in this organization and use their resources to get me back to full health where I'm at now has been super awesome. So that's what I'm most um, thankful and glad. So uh, that last year at UCLA, you didn't play, right? Yeah, correct. I didn't play at all. I was dealing with a back injury.
0: Oh, wow. So do you still got drafted even though you didn't play 2022. I mean, is that usually yeah. common? Is it just you're like whatever you do your junior year, that's set? Like going into that senior year in college, what is the mentality?
3: Yeah, so I think it's, it's not – it's not the most com- common thing to be drafted after not playing at all your junior year, but it does happen. Um, luckily I had some good, good outings throughout my career at UCLA and they saw something in me that they liked. So I was very fortunate for them to take a shot on me and so far things are going really well. So this has been great.
0: How was the experience at UCLA? I know they, they have a pretty good baseball program. Is it just, um, the hatred towards USC, is that why you just chose UCLA or well, how was that decision made?
3: Uh I think ultimately it was the I really liked the location of it being close to home and then the storied baseball program that they have. Uh they've been notorious for developing pitchers there, and then also the academics played factored into it. So just the combination of those three really made the decision pretty easy for me and knowing that I really wanted to attend UCLA.
0: So you get drafted. Do you immediately go on some sort of workout program to prepare you for when the season starts with the quakes? What was that like for you?
3: Yeah. So within a week of getting drafted, we went out to Arizona and, um, we got physicals done and then immediately I was put on a a workout program and physical therapy stuff just to get my body in good shape for this upcoming year. Um, Last year, the focus was really just on getting me back to full health and um, logging a few innings and instructs. But um, it was really about building towards this year and being healthy going into it and being ready to go this year. So, yeah, it's been great.
0: Did you get a chance to go to spring training at all this year? Yeah, I was
3: Yeah, I was out there. Uh, I went out in the middle of February, and then I was there for about a month and a half. So spring training was awesome. It was really good to uh, meet a lot of the guys that I haven't met before and just kind of pick their brains and um, just really see what the whole organization was about. So you were in in the big league camp then for a while? No, I was on the minor league side. On the minor
0: league yeah. side. So yeah. did you ever cross paths with any of those big leaguers? Did you ever get a chance to pick any of those guys' brains?
3: Um, during spring training, I did not. But throughout the offseason, I was fortunate to work out at Dodger Stadium. So um, during the offseason, there were a lot of big league guys that were consistently coming in, um, Gavin Lux was always in there, Miguel Vargas was in there, get him out, Chris Taylor. So just being able to talk to those guys and meet them was pretty awesome.
0: Did, was there any piece of advice that was different from them that you were just like, you know what, I've never really heard that, I'm gonna use that? Or were they all pretty much telling you the same
3: thing? Uh, yeah, it was a lot of similar stuff, just about continuing to work and not really getting too far ahead of yourself kind of taking it day by day and doing what you need to do and not really focusing on the things that you can't control. So I think that was the biggest advice that they gave me that helped a lot. So what is a bigger
0: shock to you being that you're a South Bay kid? Is it now that you're playing at, in in the minor leagues, uh, you know, different talent aside from the college talent or the fact that now you have to spend more time in Rancho Cucamonga How's uh, the city of Rancho Cucamonga treating you? Because I drove by there once on the freeway and it was the longest week of my life.
3: (laughs) Um, No, so far, actually, Rancho Cucamonga has been really good to me. Um, We got set up in good apartments, um, organizations helping us out there and providing us with really good apartment um, complexes. So that's been really, really good. Um, I haven't gone out too much and explored, but Mostly just spending my time at the apartment or the field, getting that stuff done. But yeah, no, Rancho has been pretty good so far, I got to say.
0: So you're part of like that new class, so to speak, where organizations now are paying for minor leagues housing because before it wasn't like that, right, Jared? Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah. So my dad always tells me stories about the stuff he had to go through and just how fortunate I am now with all the new rules and um, all the stuff that they do for us now. So yeah. (laughs) So
0: you're in Rancho Cucamonga. I, we, we have the stats here, and, and this is just, I mean, this is insane. I mean, and this is why I'm saying I don't think you're going to be in Rancho much longer. But, I mean, look, this is just months work one month's work. But for those of you guys watching, look at this. This man has a 1.4 ERA. The league is hitting 164 against him. He's got a whip of .78, 25 Ks. Were you always a, a strikeout pitcher?
3: Um, a decent amount, not, not, not a ton. Um, I think it just comes down to throwing a lot of strikes. That's kind of what my strength is. So just being in the zone a lot allows me to, to, uh, get a lot more swings and swing and misses as we're seeing.
0: It's that's something they're really big on, isn't it? The coaching staff, they like that ability of of the swing and miss, right, Jaron?
3: Yeah, I think it just, um, just overall. Yeah. They like swing and miss just because it shows that your pitch shapes are good and your pitch designs are working. So just, yeah, all of that coming up works well.
0: So what was what's the biggest difference that you've noticed from the college level to now in the minor leagues? Because obviously the, the pond is getting a little bigger and everybody that's there can play, right? I mean, they're there mm-hmm. for a reason. So what, what are you seeing in terms of facing hitters is the biggest difference?
3: Um, I would say the biggest thing is when you look through the lineups and you see guys from college, it's always the best players on the teams that you're facing. Mm-hmm. You're not facing um, just the random guys. It's always the good guys you're facing now. So just being having to be um, super prepared and alert for those guys, um, I would say is a big difference. And also the game planning that goes into it. I know in college, um, I never really looked at anything on the hitters that I was facing, whereas now we have all kinds of data and metrics on these guys. So just being able to game plan and go into a game well-prepared, I think that was, that's been the biggest help for me.
0: Now in, in high school, at least all my friends, and I always seemed like the, you know, the best players, um, they played shortstop or something like that. And then all of a sudden they got to high school and they got converted to pitcher. Uh, was that, is that what happened to you or were you always a pitcher from when you started playing baseball?
3: Uh no, I actually didn't really pitch at all. I played first base was my uh was my was my spot. So I played that up until my junior year of high school and then hitting just wasn't going well, so I was like, "Screw it, I want to stick with pitching because I always pitched a little bit and then I really started to focus on it and um really glad that I did that. <laughs>
0: You know, I, I mean, you hear that. I mean, Ken Lee Jansen is a perfect example of that, right? The guy was a catcher, and he, he struggled with hitting. So it's like, all right, you got a good arm. We're going to make you a pitcher. I, mm-hmm. I mean, can you explain, uh, for us novices here, we, I always say, like, I see the camera behind the, the, the camera they're using with the umpire, and I'm seeing these guys throwing pitches, and I'm like, how the hell do you hit that? like, I mean, it's, it's a lot harder than, than what it is, right? You've got like, what, Mm -hmm. maybe three seconds or less to make up your mind to, to hit a baseball.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, sometimes as pitchers, we give the hitters too much credit and just like kind of forget how hard it really is to hit a baseball. Um, so just like seeing stuff like that videos from behind the home plate angle, it just really shows you how difficult it is to hit a, hit a pitch. So, I think some, that's something to remember when you're when you're on the mound. Is it's really damn hard to hit a baseball, so you got to just go after it.
0: I think not only is it hard to hit a baseball, but also some of the pitches, the movement on these pitches is just. I, I feel like sometimes they're throwing a wiffle ball, and I'm just like, how how do they do that? How many pitches do you currently have right now, and how many are you working on?
3: Yeah, so I I just throw I throw four pitches just traditional fastball changeup, curveball slider. Um, and the biggest thing for that is just all the new um, analytic systems we have, whether it's TrackMan or anything like that, just allowing us to get instant feedback on every pitch we throw. So that allows us to tinker with things and you know change grips, put pressure on different things, do something different with your arm position. So just all that goes into pitch design of pitches, which is allowing us to just get this insane movement that you've seen nowadays.
0: Getting all that information, is it overwhelming sometimes? Is that like getting all that information? Is it easy for you to get into your head instead of like you said, it's like, hey, dude, it's really hard for them to hit a baseball. I'm just going to throw my best stuff. Here it is. Hit it. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Sometimes you um, you 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 overlooked it. You get too far into the analytical stuff versus just going and executing a pitch. Um, I know for sure I've found myself sometimes – asking, oh, what was the data on that pitch when clearly I saw it was a it was a good pitch, so I don't I don't need the numbers to back me up or vice versa, it was it was a bad pitch and I see, oh, it had a lot of movement, so it must have been good. Well, no, it was not a good pitch and it got hit. So just stuff like that. Um, you'll find yourself looking too far into it sometimes.
0: I want to be respectful of your time because I know you guys have practice. So uh, we're going to start wrapping things up on, on the show, but I have a couple of questions for you. Is it true that Tommy Lasorda is your godfather?
3: Yeah, that, that is true. Very, very lucky to know him as, as well as I did.
0: Now, I, I mean, to me, that, that, that's that's crazy, right? To have, he has been, well, was one of the greatest characters in the sport of baseball. And even at his, you know, when he was older, there's that great clip when the Dodgers won the were in the World Series in 2017, and they forced that game seven, and they catch him telling Dave Roberts, you haven't done shit yet. So even at his older age, Lasorda was still, like, coming at it. How much interaction did you see? Like, how much did you know about the legend of this guy? And then actually spending time with him, did you go, holy crap, this guy's my godfather?
3: yeah absolutely um just when like being at dinner with him and hearing his stories about about just certain things throughout his life it it was pretty amazing all the all the stuff he accomplished and up until the day he died he was he still had that fierce competitive nature and just loved the dodgers so just being able to get to experience that and talk with him it was it was awesome
0: uh, people have told us stories about his legendary appetite if you went to dinner with him jared it was it true like that this guy i mean we've heard stories of people like his assistant would telling us like it was two or three o'clock in the morning and he's saying hey let's go here now like i mean where did this guy get all this energy
3: i don't know it's it's a feat of god right there but um yeah i remember going to uh we went to grimaldi's one time in arizona um, we were out visiting for spring training and I just remember the amount of meatballs this guy ordered was it was unbelievable, but they were damn good, I got to say.
0: <laughs> there you go. Um, all right, so we're going to end the show the way we always end the show. Uh, we have a series of rapid fire questions. We call these our kickback questions. So um, the first one, I believe you're you're a surfer, is that correct? What, that is correct. Please tell us, uh, I- is it true, once a surfer, always a surfer?
3: I think so. You just... You f- you fall in love with the feeling of surfing and just being in the water. Um, it's it's really a great feeling. So yeah, absolutely, I got to stand by that. Are you there's
0: no fear of sharks?
3: Uh, not really. Although I did just see a study that said something about like there's a great white shark within your vicinity 97 percent of the time. They found out in Southern <laughs> California, so that's a little. I don't know. I don't know how about my uh, return to the water. How that's going to be.
0: Oh, my gosh. I don't know. There's this video going around on Twitter. I don't know if you guys saw where this this guy got, like, eaten by a tiger shark. Like, they're literally filming this guy getting attacked. I I couldn't finish watching the video because I was just like, I was like, this is crazy. So, I I don't know. You surfers, after I saw that that movie with the girl who got her arm bit off. I'm just like, how do you guys keep back going back out there? Jaws is one of my favorite movies. So I guess that's why I always have this irrational fear of getting oh, eaten by yeah. a great white shark. For sure. um, so, um. Next question is here on the show, we're, we're big wrestling fans. So I'm curious. I mean, you're a young kid. You still might be able to be watching wrestling, but were you ever a fan of what we like to refer to as the male soap opera? Did you at any time uh watch wrestling or are you just above it Jared because surfers have no, everything figured out
3: Definitely not above it um I was we were really big into WWE back in the day when we were younger and we actually went to SummerSlam we went to WrestleMania in uh, MetLife Stadium so yeah no I was a huge wrestling fan back in the day Who
0: who's your guy who are, who are your some of your favorite wrestlers
3: Um, it was back when like Triple H was wrestling. I like CM Punk, uh, Randy Orton, those guys. So, yeah. And
0: how was that SummerSlam experience? Because I got to tell you, people who are just like randos, who are not really diehard wrestling fans, they always tell me I went to an event and it was just crazy. The energy and they Mm -hmm. became wrestling fans because they attended an event. You went to a major pay-per-view. I mean, SummerSlam, what was that like?
3: Yeah, no, the atmosphere is unbelievable. Just the, the chance that the crowd gets into and how into it they are, it's it's really something different. And uh, also in our garage, we actually have two f- fat heads of uh, <laughs> one's Triple H and one's CM Punk in our garage still up. So, yep. <laughs> Oh, the legend of CM
0: Punk, man. That's great. Uh, last one for you, Jared. I mean, I, to me, I, I love CM Punk just because he wore the Macho Man Randy Savage trunks when yeah. the Macho Man passed away. And I thought that was awesome. Um, uh, last one for you. Being that you're from the South Bay uh, and you're a native uh, Southern Californian, we need to know, uh, we're big on tacos here on this show. Do you have a favorite taco and where do you go to get that taco?
3: Um yeah, I think my spot my go-to spot's Brothers Burritos. Um they got them in Hermosa. They 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 got some really good tacos and burrito, burritos. So um yeah, Brothers Burritos is what I suggest for you.
0: So are you a better are, are you more of a burrito guy than a taco guy? I'm more of a burrito guy, yeah, got to say. Okay. What kind of burrito is I like what is your protein of choice that you're putting in there?
3: Uh I like to go carne asada.
0: That's another, do you yeah. put rice and beans in there too? Do you get Absolutely. all the fixins?
3: Got to load it up, get the calories in, you know?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you are a pretty tall, tall dude, right? You're like six, yeah. seven, right? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jared. We really, uh, we appreciate you joining us much luck to you uh, in Rancho because I just don't see you there much longer. Uh, hopefully you move up to the next level um where can our listeners, our our viewers follow you on the social media? Uh
3: yeah. So my Instagram is just uh my name, Jared Karos. Um that's really the only social media I use a lot. So yeah, that's it.
0: All right. Well, there you have it, guys. The the future here. The way the Dodgers bullpen is going right now, we might be seeing uh Jared Karos up in the major leagues uh sooner rather than later because it's it's rough times right now. We we need some people who can pitch, Jared. So continued my success to you
3: thank you uh really appreciate you having me on it's been awesome
0: this episode of the Bleed bleedlose podcast has been brought to you by betonline.ag where the game starts nos vemos para la próxima
3: thank you for listening to believe